You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast, the news and observer politics podcast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Lucille Sherman, Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Danielle Battaglia. And our topic this Domecast is phase two in the political fallout, repercussions, everything associated with it. Um, not everybody is on board with everyone else's decisions <laughs> the way they were a month or so ago, to put it lightly, um, from Council of State to the General Assembly uh, versus Governor Cooper and DHHS Secretary Mandy Cohen's decision. So we have a lot to talk about, including that phase two is starting just hours from when we're recording this. I first want to say I'm really surprised phase two is happening. I, for whatever reason, was really convinced it was going to take another week before it would start. Are you guys surprised by that or is that what you expected? I thought that, I mean, Cooper's, you know, basically his MO for a while has been on Monday to say he'll tell us on Tuesday or Wednesday the decision, or on Tuesday or Wednesday, say it's coming Thursday, Friday. So I think that I thought it would happen. I didn't know, like, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that he limited some things, and maybe that's kind of the middle ground of you didn't think he would at all. But here's the, you know, this date was approaching, and you have to give people notice. And I remember I asked him in one press conference, you know, how much notice are you giving people to get ready for this? That was probably before the order even started. So maybe this is somewhere in the middle that, you know, yeah, he I did do it, like, but not, yeah. I almost feel like he would have gone another week had the political pressure not been as intense as it was, because it did sound like there was some hesitation about the way the numbers were going. Um, so I think in the end, to sort of keep things moving, that's when, where they decided to go to that, what they described as a more modest phase two and not open as many businesses as they'd initially promised. Of course, that's prompted the whole backlash of all of those businesses that thought they were going to open on Friday and then find out on Wednesday, uh, not going to happen for another five weeks, and now they're super mad. I think from a political point of view, I'm not surprised. I think from a data point of view, like, and I think that's what Lucille's been looking at, the numbers didn't seem like they were showing that we should reopen, but he was getting a ton of political pressure. Well, Cohen has been saying the whole time, but since we didn't have this spike in dissent, they just kind of wanted to leveling out. The other thing is when, you know, the states around you are all reopening, you've got to really come with... What is your reasoning for not doing what everybody else is doing? And if you're playing press conference bingo, I mean, the words data and science is there every single press conference. And I mean, just they obviously have like the talking points that they'll repeat with anything and explain, um, you know, obviously they've thought about what, how they're going to answer everything, you know, um, with any kind of topic. And it's kind of the same repeating of, of things. And then, but also I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Masks aren't mandated in some areas. I mean, Durham is pretty hardcore about this, you know, um, and their stay-at-home order is longer than the state, and and they've already been mandating masks in some other areas. You know, it had curfews. So, in some ways, the state is a lot a lot looser and freer, and leaving up to you, or um, what you're going to follow or not, or really leaving it up to the localities that have to be the ones that are going to enforce it where the state doesn't do that. But then on the other side, you have 
you know, the criticism of this is way, way overreach, you know, statewide. So it kind of depends on who you're talking to or really what your political persuasion is now, I think, or maybe a month ago it wasn't like that. Yeah, there was a poll that came out this week from this conservative group called Carolina Partnership for Reform, and it was fascinating to see the partisan splits on it. It was something like 70% of Republicans said they'd eat in restaurants when they reopened, but only 30% of Democrats. So, I mean, for look, the same set of numbers that we're seeing in news articles and news outlets all over the state, the ways people are looking at them so differently is, is just fascinating to me. I think, I mean, public health as a political issue to me is kind of weird. It's yeah. weird to me. It's public I just health. tweeted I mean, it today that like, it almost annoys me because I feel like people's safety shouldn't be a playing card in a political game. But it's just weird. Yeah. I don't get it. It's, don't. it's been like this since it started because I remember I got assigned a story that was like, hey, write about this poll on what people think about coronavirus. And it was definitely split along party lines. And the people I called were really split along party lines. Probably not as extremely as it seems like they are now. But I think from day one, it really has been sort of divided along party lines. I mean, the Republicans were pretty supportive of Democratic governors and of Republican governors, you know, are doing things that were more strict as far as what you want the government telling you what to do. That's why I think maybe some of that has been slacker than than other areas. But I mean, traditionally or historically, you know, Republic, the Republican Party paints itself as being um, looking out for business more than Democrats. So I think this reopening and then pushing that is seems like it's, that's definitely a given for that political move. But the things like masks, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't, it's hard. I mean, I guess there's like this like sort of libertarian personal liberty argument but yeah it doesn't doesn't make as much sense as the you know how are you balancing the economic interests with other other needs in society which was sort of the when i talked to political scientist a month or so back about the what then was a very sort of emerging partisan split that's gotten much sharper since i did that story um they were sort of saying that that's the you know when your republicans big base area is small business owners then it makes sense that they sort of champion that issue over some of the public health and you know other other concerns that are out there in some respects and trying to balance that and that democrats might be more likely to side with like the experts and the um doctors and, and public health folks on uh sort of prioritizing that over the economic fallout well i was thinking public health in terms of the distancing and mass not the yeah. reopening capacity because yeah. i think that is definitely business but i mean something like what's your own personal protection is and protection of others. Um, but I, I think you're onto something with like the libertarian. I mean, there are people who, you know, I've met people who don't want to wear a seatbelt because they don't like that the government tells them to wear one. Yeah, I mean, the so, General Assembly you know, has the motorcycle like, helmet bill every year, which would let motorcyclists not wear a helmet, which of course, there's no, there's no legitimate health argument that you're better off without a helmet on a motorcycle, but people really feel like they would like to have that option, apparently. The there, same thing applies to, like, vaccinations. There's still, like, people who decide not to vaccinate their kids or not get vaccinations. So there are always things in public health that I feel like end up being controversial. That's probably more conspiracy theories than... That's true. Than, I mean, as yeah. far as, like, yeah. I mean, there's basic... There's, like, you know, I guess universal facts that you choose to ignore, and then there's stuff like, well, I don't like how you're depicting this with your chart. So like the on Council of State this morning, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, who clearly this is very political for him because he's running against Cooper, you know, uh, 
didn't like the fact that the media puts out the number of cases, but then he also was asking Cohen for more information and he wants more information out there. So it's kind of like how you, maybe the information is presented, I think, or how, how that particular data is presented. And, and if you're looking at it through your lens of what you want, and if it presents it in a way that doesn't follow what you want, then you're not going to be happy about it, or yeah. you will be more happy if yeah. it is what you want. I mean, there's so many different ways to slice and dice the numbers that you can pick. If you pick, really, if you're determined to pick a single data point, you can pick a data point that either makes it look really rosy or a data point that makes it look like we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of death, on the, um, yeah. during the Council of State call, which was the first time, you know, the Republican Council of State members had been like, why are we having this chance, you know, to question Cooper and Colin, and they had that today. Um, and I can't remember who it was, if it was Commissioner Barry or someone else, who had asked um, about the death certificates and kind of questioning, like, are you, or did these people really die of COVID-19? Is it possible that the death certificate um, says something where, you know, they had it while they died in a car accident? And what Cohen said was that the data that the state is getting is from the physicians, that it's from the doctors in the hospitals, that death certificates, I didn't realize this, are not digitized in this state. <laughs> and yeah. apparently it's like weeks, months out before you would even see like an old tiny piece of paper, you know, from like 50 years ago way of filing things. Um, so she said it's reporter, the physicians. I think it took like six months sometimes for me to get a death certificate with well, the... The, because it because it's hand it's, it's hand done and it takes yeah. forever. I mean, even the autopsies, you get the report like six months later, and so like I don't know if that plays into the death certificate. I never asked that question, but death death is a slow um, process once it's over. The, the collaborative, the <laughs> north. I don't remember our name anymore, but there's a collaborative of six or seven newsrooms that have been doing like different stories every week, and one week um, our project was to collect death certificates in every county for like March 1st through whatever date, I think in April that we requested that. And I actually got a surprising amount of response from people. There is like a few days of a lag, but the death certificate goes to the health department first. And then the register of deeds has an uncertified copy of the death certificate. So there are sort of like different steps that it has to go through, but there wasn't that big of a lag time in getting them. But that's what we were looking at is, are there people who could have had COVID that sort of have the same kind of lines of symptoms that maybe didn't get tested or doesn't say that on their death certificate? I was also right. really interested. They said that they don't test for COVID after death, which I'm curious for two reasons, because we are going through this pandemic, so I would love to like have that data just available to mm -hmm. us. But also... Um, what was my also? Totally lost my train of thought. Um, well, there's the possibility that we're undercounting the deaths. Yeah. Because you say they died from something else when they actually had that. If it's pneumonia or maybe early on, that's what happened. But, I mean, how much does this matter? Is it matter in a scientific way of um, looking at this? You know, you have to wait till it's over to really know, to assess everything, right? Yeah. I know what my also was. I know funeral directors were really concerned at the beginning of this of like how do they handle the bodies of people with COVID so if they don't even know if the person had COVID that could be interesting in itself of like what practices are they following to make sure that they're staying safe there's so yeah there's so much un unknown that yeah there's just you're not we're not going to find out until years from now you know a generation from now even I mean all the lessons from the hundred year ago flu pandemic you know like they 
think about what it was like for only grown men, you know, with them trying to figure out everything. Um, I will say one expert that I've talked to a lot has said that the death data is going to be more accurate than, you know, just who has it and who doesn't. Because a lot of the time, people with more severe cases are going to end up in the hospital and they're more likely to get tested if they end up in the hospital. Um, That's obviously not true for everything. But she has a formula. I remember she told me, like, at one point um, that so if you take the number of deaths and multiply that by there's like a range of a multiplier, it gives you the number of cases there were two to three weeks ago. And I remember she gave me, this was probably in mid-April, she said when we had only had like 11,000 cases, based on the death numbers at that time, there probably were more like (laughs) 50,000. So the death numbers are a better indicator of what's going on, but we can only guess. I like that, I mean, the indicator, because, you know, some of the arguments have been like, well, don't classify it as this if they had underlying conditions. Like, all kinds of things contribute to someone's death. Yeah. You're, if you smoke, you're more likely to get every, almost every kind of cancer. So did you die from smoking or did you die? I mean, lung cancer, emphysema, that's a clear connection. But if you had something else because you were a smoker, I mean, everything contributes to your death in multiple ways. So if somebody was more at risk for dying from COVID, that doesn't mean that they didn't die from COVID. It means they had other things. And if, I mean, that daily report from Durham County, you know, public health that says, I mean, it's really sad where it says, I feel like it's like two people every day and it's like two people were over 65 and had multiple underlying conditions and everything. It doesn't mean that's that's not what actually, you know, technically killed them at the time. So I think yeah. what you're saying with like indicator, once if you have a ballpark number of what the impact of this is, yeah, you know, then you can make decisions based on that. You right. Know? But yeah, case by case, I don't think it, you know, you may not know the specifics of it. Yeah. And one more thing, numbers wise, in favor of the people who really want full reopening. Um, One argument I've heard is we're not going to reach like herd immunity until we get to something like 70, 60 or 70% if everyone has caught COVID. And the same expert, um, Julie Swan at UNC, told me that by her estimates, at the rate we're currently going, it would take us 52 years (laughs) to reach that. And of course, we're estimating it'll be a while some people are saying by the end of the year, some people are saying next year before we get a vaccination. So I think what a lot of the people who want to fully reopen have been saying is there is not a vaccination in sight. Are we just going to hunker down for another two years or so? Right. I mean, everything has risk. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you mitigate it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the, the sort of reopen debate is the timing of it is people seem to really want to know, and I'm, I'm curious this too, of, is there some sort of advantage to waiting another month or do we just have the same spike in a month once people go out and about? It feels sort of inevitable the case numbers will increase the more people are in contact with each other, but the question is what does that look like long term? And, you know, if you look over a year, a two-year period, how what, what the, you know, death rate is, based on, on different sorts of policies and so if no one's really expecting us to all sit at home for a year to two years. Well, I don't think there's, right, there's no clear answer because, so we're all unemployed, you know, we never <laughs> reopen and then, okay, we're all alive, but can't pay our rent, can't pay, you know, so there's, 
but then what's the balance there? You know, yeah. it's like you you need to make money to live, but you also need to not get coronavirus. Yeah. To live. So I don't, yeah, and, I don't know. You know I don't with the unemployment system being what it is, with the backlogs that you know the legislators are taking issue with in the last week or so. Um, the old story about the people who've been waiting two months and haven't gotten unemployment. Uh, yeah. I think that's a lot of the reopening pushes. Hey, if we don't really have a safety net for the people who haven't had a job for two months, then what else do we do? Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it. There's people who filed for unemployment, you know, the day that Cooper issued his order, you know, closing most restaurants and bars who, you know, still haven't gotten their, you know, their payments or only recently started getting them a few days ago, two months later. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's a very valid question. You know, like if if we really don't have this, the capacity to handle all of these people who are unemployed and we've kind of, you know, made a, a promise as a society that, you know, hey, we'll take care of you, but we can't actually follow through on that. Like, when do you start reopening? You know, I mean, have if, we made that even promise? Even if it might cause a spike. <laughs> I mean, the government can't save you, you know? Yeah. Maybe some people want it to, but... Who is the yeah. guy that called for everyone to get $1,000 every other week? Uh, Andrew Yang, the presidential candidate. That's come what up a lot. Him? It's yeah. universal <laughs> base income. Like I, when I covered Durham, I would hear that a lot from the mayor pro tem Johnson about, um, yeah, but where's that money coming from? Uh, and okay, you take Washington. it from something else. How do you get everyone to agree on how to spend it? And, yeah. You know, that's a, do you think, well, do you think there's going to be political fallout for Cooper or anyone else about this whole unemployment Mess? Well, you know, both sides say the other side is to blame, which Whoa. is, uh, you know, <laughs> you, I heard that uh, <laughs> you know, Republicans say, look, the unemployment system is under Cooper's control. He, you know, has been slow to react to this surge in cases. And, you know, clearly with, you know, people going so long without getting paid, like he deserves some of the blame for that. Um, Democrats turn around and say, look, you know, Republicans slashed the unemployment office to the bone back in 2013 not only cutting, you know, the benefits that people can get here in North Carolina to basically the lowest in the nation, but also, you know, cutting the staffing that they have. Um, so, you know, there's lots of finger pointing going around, you know, on both sides. Um, but in general, I think it has been pretty notable how a lot of what we've seen so far, at least with the response to this, has been more bipartisan or at least less rancorous than some other things we've seen in the past. I mean, the the coronavirus relief bill that they passed in late April was completely unanimous. You know, Cooper signed it immediately. There is really no quibbling over that. Um, I just wrote uh, today on Friday about, you know, a new uh, bill aimed at the November elections to expand uh, absentee voting and uh, had some bipartisan support. Democrats got a few things on their wish list in there that the Republicans allowed them to, you know, to get in. Um, not everything, obviously, um, but you know, there's there's been a pretty notable amount of you know bipartisanship as people kind of you know say, hey, you know, we want to get through this. We don't want to look like other states that have been in the national news for kind of floundering. Like we want to, you know, or Georgia, be proactive. Where they like are like, oh wait, those numbers are wrong, and those other numbers. Right. Are well, one thing I heard a lot when I was writing about that election bill was Wisconsin. You know, where they had that really controversial election where they. You know, uh, had people coming out to the polls in the middle of it. You know, I heard from people. You know, we did not want to be like Wisconsin when it, this when November comes around because, you know, one thing it looks like people are expecting is that there will be a second spike in cases this fall. Um, you know, you saw a lot of UNC system schools making decisions earlier this week 
uh, you know, to where they're going to maybe reopen a little earlier in the summer or try to be done with the fall semester by Thanksgiving, you know, by eliminating fall break and things like that, just because, you know, they, they think that, you know, the, the longer they're actually in school, the, the higher the chances are for something to happen. So they want to. What do you think about that out. being that it also prevents them from going back to wherever they're from and coming back? I wonder if that was part of Do you think that's any of the reasons? I think that's part the, of it yeah. as well, yeah. Like once they're there and then like that's it, you know, versus if there's some breaks in the Of course, for some people, you know, if you live in, you know, Raleigh and go to school at, you know, UNCG, like, you know, it's still pretty easy for you to go back and home, right. back and forth to home on the weekends. Yeah, but if you were on the start, I mean, it was, we were coming right around the period of spring break, break for college students. So a lot of them were going all over the world for their spring well, break. Well, that was and, Durham's outbreak. Yeah. The first big outbreak. Yeah, it was the Duke students yeah. there. So, I mean, that... Certainly universities are worried about that happening again if, if there's a desire among students to take advantage of the breaks to do some serious travel and not just drive a couple hours home. Well, Don and I are from a hot spot, so we could have, you were still within Virginia. I would have brought it to North Carolina if I had it. Right. I guess right. I don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I thought was really interesting is I think it's Burger, correct me if I'm wrong, that said multiple times, what is Cooper's end goal in reopening? Yep. And my understanding of that at the beginning of all of this was not overwhelming the hospital system. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's sort of unclear right now what is what is our goal. Um, I mean, obviously, we want to slow the spread and not get everyone sick and also our economy not come to a screeching halt. But, yeah, I think it's been really interesting watching the, the Cooper Republicans dynamic of that. that. That came up with Council of State where they were like, well, how many hospital beds do we have? And are we? And it, it, it does seem like we're all right. You know, so if that yeah. was a initial thing, they've... But then, you know, then they could also argue... Well, we don't have to worry about that because we did such a good job, you know, at this. So I, my guess is it's a little bit of hedging your bets of the unknown yeah. and just, yeah, I mean. Yeah, Don, that seems to me to really be kind of the big dividing line on where people stand on how fast we should reopen. You know, yet it's kind of undeniable that we did way better than a lot of the early projections showed. You know, we were in the early models looking at tons and tons of cases and deaths and that just didn't happen here. But, you know, some people believe, well, that didn't happen because we shut things down. And some people say, well, because that didn't happen, we should reopen. And there's just kind of that inherent, like, you know, it's just how you feel about the data, you know, kind of drives your opinion on, on what to do. And, you know, those are both, you know, very commonly held opinions that are just kind of, you know, in contrast with one another. Yeah. So the Council of State calls this morning. Right. What else happened at that call? You guys can read my story. And then <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, it, I mean, this meeting was specifically because they have asked for it. They did it in this public letter and the Republican members on the Council of State have not had their chance to really be the reporters asking the Cooper questions and um, Republicans have criticized the Cooper press conference setup where we call and it is a crazy setup where like all of a sudden it's your turn and then you gotta get your questions out and then maybe you won't be called on and stuff which is compared to being in person 
Um, but so I, I wonder if some of them were thinking that when they said, and I have a follow-up question, which I was like, I, I see you subtweeting, you know. Um, so I think that was a, a little bit of it. And that's, you know, that's a, obviously the, their statewide elected officials should be able to talk to their fellow statewide elected officials yeah. about reasoning because they of all the agencies they run and, and needing answers to that. And, you know, of course, you know, Forrest is running for office against Cooper. So what, the way he said things, of course, is going to be more campaigny and different than, than some others. But um, Superintendent Johnson was the one that was pushing on, you know, can you just like fix this executive order to explain breweries, distilleries, wineries, they're not bars, they're not restaurants, maybe are they? And can you just to say this, you know, and Cooper, I think, right as we're recording is, you know, taking questions again. And if and Cooper's answer was that legal is still figuring it out. Mm. Um, I think the owners of breweries probably would have been happier if that was figured out before the order came out, <laughs> where they have all the, it was the top of the hill um, owner, um, you know, at the legislature the other day saying, he, I think he had said he had like Hundred furloughed workers, and I think hundred and fifty. Yeah. Yeah, you want to bring some people back to work, but how do you know and what's going on and like get this together? You know. Yeah. Um, so th I think that's there's a lot of frustration there, and that that's kind of what came out of the meeting, and and just um, yeah, just pushing like why are some places open, not others, and and I don't know if it was Johnson or someone else asking about the timeline, and I know that Troxler and Kazi had asked about like this is five weeks, and that's a long time. For these other businesses to stay closed and they'll be gone when it's time to and that's grim there's a lot of grim things you know about this but that was what they were pushing was like you know can you and Folwell said treasurer Folwell said you know governor i'm literally begging you to reopen gyms right now you know i wonder what the public health impact of like long term if because north carolina is slower to reopen gyms than some of the other states and more than go out of business. Do fewer people have gym memberships? Does that create a public health thing? I mean, there's all these sort of weird subplots to this that, you know, I don't think we know where, really where it's going. Yeah, the yeah. gym thing seems particularly, I kind of get that one because, you know, being in a, a yeah. gym locker room after yeah. working out just seems sort of yeah. right. Well, it was interesting, Mandy sweat. Cohen's comment that it wasn't it was sweat. Because I'm thinking yeah. sweat on exercise machines. She did mention sweat but in she the said, previous one. Didn't she say it was mostly you're breathing heavier? And yeah. so that's going to be yeah. more water but she did. She did mention sweat in a previous press conference. And then today said, you know, it's been reported that sweat. It's not this, it's that. I'm like, well, you did say that. <laughs> you know, there's more. You can, you know. And she said it's about the... Um, it's, your, it's the breathing heavy, yeah. and she mentioned the church outbreak that started with the choir because you're in a contained space and everybody's all spraying. I've heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've heard a lot, not a lot lately, about choirs, which is is a nice visual. <laughs> <laughs> it's a festival of spit when you go to a choir concert. Oh man, um, yeah, and. Rick Gunn in the committee hearing where he introduced two bills. What are they called? PCS? What yeah, proposed committee substitute. So he's, you know, taken some house bills and gutted them and put in this new stuff. Yeah, newbie, newbie state house reporter. Um, so he proposed two bills that would basically allow for restaurants and bars, wineries, distilleries, breweries, all He spelled things. them all out. Yeah. Um, to open more than what Cooper was allowing them two in this phase two so they could have 50 percent of their capacity inside and also the other 50 percent could be seated outside 
Um, so basically, they can operate at 100% as long as they still only have 50% of their inside capacity inside. So that's coming up next week still. Yeah. Yeah, they're scheduled for a hearing on Tuesday. And I um, asked Cooper about it. Like that day, a couple hours later. Yeah, know, he said he didn't know about it at that point. He said he hadn't yeah. read the legislation. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Berger was really in support of that and said it could be tweaked in a way that would allow bars to reopen and be outside only. So that's something to look for on Tuesday. I mean, it's yeah. an interesting idea of like if you're saying this is a structure and if it's worse and you're, it's higher risk if you're inside, but not if you're outside, then like how much space outside, you know, would that be a different square footage? How do you define what a building is or yeah. what the premises are? Yeah. Oh, you're That'll getting way fun. deep into the, the zoning weeds of all this. Tunnel. I'm excited. I'm like, like who's zoning? I was curious. I don't know if you guys saw the report. I think it was out of Stone Mountain. It wasn't Georgia. So it was either North Carolina or Virginia. But anyways, they had this woman fall and sprain her leg. They needed to get an ambulance in, but everybody was parking and picnicking in the road because they figured no one's coming to park. They can just Oh, that was Stone Mountain State Park uh, yeah. in North Carolina. There you um, go. Near Elkin, I think. And I keep thinking, like, so if we let them have 50% outside, are they in the street? Like, where are they? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. I'm like... glad you mentioned closing a street because then I can say one of my favorite words, which is a wooner, which is <laughs> W-O-O-N-E-R-F. <laughs> Will knows my love of wooners, which is just a multimodal street that can be used for vehicles, walking, bikes, and that sort of thing. But generally, they're not, like in Durham, there's Orange Street, which is, um, they, as cars can go down it, but not necessarily have to. But also, if somebody, like, don't sit in the street. That's what and they were doing. if an ambulance is coming, get up and move quickly, you know. But the idea, like, there's, you know, there's this movement pre-pandemic of open streets and making, you know, why are cars in charge instead of everybody else? I'm sure scooter advocates have their thoughts too. And and this is potentially an opportunity to do some things like that. Um, but then you have to think about, okay, what traffic patterns and emergency vehicles and who's going to use it? You know, well, I a lot of work. Fayetteville anyway, Street can be a mall again. Thank so. you for that opportunity to say Wooner. <laughs> so this, this set of bills would have, would let them use any space adjacent and, or near to their building where they're serving so the people. street. <laughs> so yeah. you can, yeah. I think sidewalks were explicitly said, I don't think the street, but definitely sidewalks wasn't it? and parking, yeah, parking lots, lots yeah. but also a nearby park or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's subject to the city ordinances and we're seeing a lot of the local governments having meetings about, you know, in what places do street closures make sense to let the restaurants spread out? I think Raleigh and Durham and I mean, Wilmington and others are having now. these conversations. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, restaurants will be really dependent on weather if they're doing... Hey, we got rain tacos yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and also those bills were pre-Cooper's, hours before Cooper's phase two announcement. So I think the assumption was that bars would be open in phase two. So it was smart to make it two bills, right? And yeah. one yeah. is restaurants and one is bars. Well, I mean, and there's yeah. other reasons for doing that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. Like I say, well Burger's going to be hinting at tweaks to that that were specifically in response to what was in phase two. Because I talked to him on Thursday morning, I think. Um, and that seemed to be what we're... It just seems like we're hinting, heading towards perhaps a showdown if uh, some of these businesses are, are closed really for five weeks and Republicans don't like it if the legislature decides they want to weigh in a little bit more than they have. Well, Plenty of stories for us to write. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> about 
restaurants. Yeah, so yeah. look forward to that on another busy week of the legislature as they continue sort of business as usual in their I'm um, just sort of way. glad you finally gave me what you promised when you hired me for covering the legislature. I know, a real legislative session with committees and people and bills. Time. It'll be a, dis a special distillery committee. <laughs> How exciting. Cannot wait. <laughs> All right, so we have about who's our who's our headliner of the week last time? Uh, looks like I won with the um, what did I say? The Liberty Llama. Liberty Llama. You don't even remember. How did you win? Yeah, <laughs> it, it wasn't memorable to me, but I guess it was memorable to whoever voted on Twitter. Everybody loves the Liberty Llama. Liberty yeah. Llama is great. I'm sad I've never seen it. All I'm right, so it. since you won, that means you sit out because our Twitter poll has four spots. So yeah. I guess we'll be back soon. Yeah. With headliner of the week. All right, it's time for Headliner of the Week. And like we said before, Colin Campbell is sitting out since he was last year's winner. Um, I'm Dawn, and my headliner is Woonerf. What? Right. <laughs> Woonerf, as you guys heard, is a street that is multi-use. I feel what like is? they have a lot of those in Europe. Yes, they do, actually. That's is the hard Is it a European term, like Swedish or something? It yeah. is. I can't remember now, but, you know, we can have a Wunerf theme. Don't cast some time if you guys I want. I believe it's Dutch. I Googled it the last time you used this word. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you for doing your Wunerf research. I don't understand because I grew up around a lot of Wooners, and I didn't know this was a word. I yeah. learned it at a Durham City Council meeting. Greensboro has been proposing a Wooner, and never once did they say Wooner, so I don't know that this is I know. Legit. It's a fun word. So. Um, okay, that's that my headline. If that wins and Murder Hornets a couple weeks ago didn't win, I'm going to be really mad. Um, this is Lucille, and mine is going to be um, data-related. Surprise. DHHS introduced a new portal for all of their COVID-19 data, and it sucks. Um, it's an entire um, Tableau-based um, portal, so it's really great for the general public in the sense that you can interact with it more. The previous portal just had static graphics. Um, but in terms of collecting the data, which is what I do, it's really difficult. You can only download the data in PDF form. Um, and it just makes working with it a lot more difficult. So that is my headliner of the week. Not great for transparency. Not great for transparency at all. All right, uh, my headliner is going to be phase two confusion. Uh, that's basically <laughs> what dominated the headlines this week. Um, just, you know, people not really being sure, you know, what makes something a restaurant, you know, how much food does a bar have to serve in order to be counted as a restaurant, what's going on. Looks like we should be getting some more details from about that here at kind of right before the finish line. Uh, but that has really been the storyline of the week It's just, you know, a lot of people feeling like, uh, you know, they did not get the information that they were expecting. So, phase two confusion. I'm still thinking because somebody stole my headliner. <laughs> but I'm going to go with a glass half full on quarantine and say I do appreciate that quarantine has made us all slow down a little bit and, like, rethink life. And I do appreciate that moment that, you know... We're America. We run all the time, and all of a sudden, I'm being forced to stay home and, you know, think about the good things, things I want, like eating at a restaurant on a patio. That sounds great. 
That does sound great. Cool. Getting philosophical on us. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound great. <laughs> I'm seeing your faces again for the first time in a while on a Domecast because we've been doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're wondering about our sound quality, is because we are doing this socially distant and wearing masks. <laughs> so yeah. that is why we're a little yeah. awful. Yeah. Well, don't don't add room. us. We're being responsible. Yeah. Dome All right. Measured. Well, we'll <laughs> get our Twitter poll out um, at, under the dome when we tweet out Domecast. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Vaughn for Lucille Sherman, Colin Campbell, Will Doran, Danielle Battaglia. Um, see you next time. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.